Hello everyone, this is Tony Kramer, product specialist with RDO Equipment Company, and you are listening to the Agriculture Technology Podcast. Every day there are phenomenal advancements being made in the field of agriculture technology. RDO Equipment Company is a leader in agriculture equipment and precision agriculture technology and is here with industry experts bringing the latest news and information from RDO and John Deere. Thanks for joining us on the Agriculture Technology Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 91. Today we are going to be talking about some technology updates within the irrigation industry. Before we dive into the show, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. You can subscribe to the show on the many different podcasting apps we're streaming this to. It's on Apple's podcast app, it's on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Overcast, and many others. While you're out there, drop us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Lastly, make sure to follow RDO Equipment Company on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and catch all of our latest videos on YouTube. You can also follow me on Twitter at RDOTonyK. Now with that, let's get back to the show. I'm really excited to welcome Paul McFadden. Uh, Some of you may know or have heard the name from a previous episode. Uh, We talked a lot about kind of the state of water and and what water really means to us in the ag industry. And we felt that that episode was so intriguing and there was so much information to be shared that we actually asked Paul to come back on the show again to talk more about the technology within irrigation and some of the, the... uh, struggles with technology adoption in the irrigation industry. So again, Paul McFadden, he's the Director of Purchasing with RDO Water. Thanks for joining us on the show again, Paul. To get started, let's just hear a little bit more about your background again and how you got involved in this industry. Great. Thanks uh, Thanks for the invitation to participate again, Tony. I appreciate it a great deal. Uh, my background is um, I've been in the uh, ag irrigation business for nearly three decades uh, with a number of manufacturers, uh, primarily manufacturers of drip and micro-irrigation products, uh, including uh, John Deere Water, uh, the Toro Company, Roberts Irrigation, and uh, now with uh, a company I'm proud to be associated with, uh, RDO, uh, based in uh, in San Diego, uh, helping with the purchasing uh, of uh, all those components and putting them together to, to make systems work uh, efficiently for for our customers. Going back, like I had mentioned, Paul, we had you on the podcast not long ago, episodes 84 and 85. We were talking about just kind of the state of water and and what it means to the ag industry, how important of a resource it truly is. And we didn't really get much time to talk about the technology within irrigation. Now, you brought up a number of different pieces of technology that are going to help us move forward. That's why we asked you back onto the show. We we really want to dive a little bit more into the irrigation technology and and what is being adopted today and then what some of those struggles are. So why don't we start out just talking, what type of technologies are there available within the irrigation world? So there's a number number of uh, technologies. There's uh, soil moisture monitoring. There's devices that will manage and meter uh, pumps and flow meters and chemigation injection. Uh, There's uh, devices that will look at uh, imaging, whether it's drones, uh, UAVs, if you prefer, 
satellite imaging. Uh, NASA has become very deeply involved in imaging uh, in uh, as it pertains to water, uh, water storage, water capacities, and the snow uh, uh, packs and such. There's a wide variety of areas where technology is being uh, being uh, looked at and even applied in some areas uh, to help folks do a better job of irrigating more efficiently. I know myself, I kind of look at irrigation. We don't have a ton of it here in the Red River Valley and kind of where I grew up in South Central Minnesota, but irrigation plays a huge role in the agriculture industry throughout the entire world. And speaking from my thoughts and kind of how I grew up, I always thought of irrigation as something just simple. You, you turn on the sprinkler, you turn it off, or whether it's flood irrigation or the, the drip irrigation, but there really is so much more technology behind it. And maybe when I talk about it, maybe that's how it was back in the day, but I'm sure with within the industry and how long you've been involved, Paul, it's probably been quite amazing to watch it adapt and, and get some of this technology into the irrigation world. It's, a, it's an interesting point. It's a great question. Um, I think, you know, there has been a lot of technology from various sources, whether it's from a group like NASA or it's from uh, Silicon Valley, or it's uh, uh, organically grown up through the uh, different manufacturers in our industry. Uh, there's a there's a broad variety of folks that have tried to bring technology to to uh, to the ag space. Uh, John Deere being being one uh, through their uh, uh, Farm Connect uh, program, uh, but not many have stuck. Uh, in the industry on a large scale basis. And uh, uh, we've had soil moisture monitors around for 50 years. Uh, but, you know, there's uh, tensiometers, there's uh, neutron probes, there's uh, capacitance probes, there's all these different uh, ways that people measure moisture, but uh, not all of them have been used on a continuous basis on farms, and I'm generalizing to a certain degree, obviously, but not all of those have been uh, used uh, uh, from, say, one irrigation manager to the next. Uh, the uh, is one of the things that we see is the lack of consistency with personnel, with the turnover rates on farms today, and the, and the lack of labor that uh, when, a, when a champion leaves a farm for Another job, for example, uh, as an irrigator, there's not always the, the a, a like-minded person filling in to to take uh, take on that role and doing do it do the uh, the same way with the same equipment. They typically want to uh, implement some of their own practices and use some of their own equipment. So that's uh, that's been a hurdle. Um, I also think that if you look at just the irrigated uh, ground in the United States, uh, versus the farmland. It's, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a minority of the, of the farmland in the country outside of the pivot ground, let's say for corn, cotton, and soybeans, uh, that, that typically use, uh, uh, mechanically, uh, moved irrigation systems or pivots. Um, there isn't much, uh, uh, in the ter in terms of drip and micro irrigation, 
in, in the country. I think there's something like 13 million acres of irrigated ground using micro irrigation or micro sprinklers and drip. And of that 13 million, 6 million of it is in California alone. So uh, it's it, a lot of it's on the West Coast. A lot of it's in specialty crops, high val- higher value crops, and uh, not not as much in in the uh, in the corn, cotton, and soybeans. Now, with those higher value crops, just to give you an example, uh, one acre of strawberries um, in California costs about sixty thousand dollars per acre uh, to get it in the get those crops in the ground, get them growing, and get them up to harvest. Where say uh, an acre of corn is $250. So uh, uh, a corn grower may not have the resources, the same resources as a strawberry grower in terms of dollars uh, to invest in this technology, which tends to be pretty expensive. And then the the higher value of the crop will often dictate the need to implement a, uh, a, a better technology to kind of monitor not only water, but nutrients and everything else, so solar radiation, wind, all those things, which uh, come into play with a, a fruit like a strawberry that's so delicate. That's a really great point that you bring up, going back to what you said about farm labor utilizing the technology, or maybe it's the, the cash flow or the capital that we have on a specific operation. Of course, you get some of those high-valued crops like strawberries, or you get your standard corn and soybeans. There's definitely a different—they're on a different playing field with each other when it comes to to cost and and what it all looks like. So, going on more with that, those are obviously some of the challenges that we see with the adoption of technology. What are there other things that are holding people back from truly adopting irrigation technology? Uh, certainly, and I think um, one one aspect of it is that is the crop. Uh, say a lettuce crop in Salinas that may be in the ground for 90 days, to put a, a monitoring system into a field and uh, make sure that it's working correctly and set it up internally on a on a uh, uh, network system to be able to monitor it uh, is far more labor intensive over a 90 day window to move that probe around the field every 90 days versus say a, a permanent crop a system like grapes or, or, or trees or vines or trees, any of those kinds of things, you can put it into a, into an orchard or a vineyard and it's set for 25 years, let's say. And uh, as long as it's working correctly, you don't have to move it. It's much less labor intensive and, uh, so the the adoption rate for permanent crops, I think, is uh, is uh, slightly ahead of than uh, say on some of the short term leafy greens or vegetable crops. I, I might also add, Tony, that the the technology that's out there, uh, it's uh, there's there's technology. Um, you can imagine that the World Ag Expo a couple of weeks ago, I uh, did a, a quick search, and there were over 200 companies selling technology into the ag space just at that one uh, at that one show, and uh, many of them are soil moisture companies. Uh, I know of two companies in particular uh, that have been around uh, for 20, uh, 10, say, say 10, 15 years. 
one one was from Australia. Uh, one it was uh, de- designed and developed here locally uh, in in the Western U.S. And both are uh, no longer in existence. Uh, the company from Australia came in and invested over forty million dollars uh, with a a gateway and uh, the ability to use different technologies and configure those into one one uh, one gateway and uh, they they ended up selling the company for pennies on the dollar and uh, and going back to Australia the other company uh, tried a different model and uh, to use, utilize their technology and, and help improve not only soil moisture but scheduling uh, of irrigations and uh, it went through uh, a couple of venture capital uh, groups and some funding and uh, never got off the ground and literally sold for, for pennies on the dollar after in investments of uh, estimates are as high as 10 to $15 million. So uh, and both companies sold for less than a million bucks to the, the, the group that has them now. So um, it's uh, it's very difficult to, to build a model uh, as a dealer or, uh, or a manufacturer of this technology that makes money. Uh, because if, if you go out and you try to build a network of, um, of installations, it's typically over a wide, wide area. Uh, when I was at Deer uh, Water, we had uh, two people that were covering the entire United States, installing and maintaining uh, soil moisture probes. And they were always on planes, uh, and it's just not sustainable. So I guess the question would be, who's going to service these units? Is it the dealer or is it the manufacturer? Uh, And can the manufacturer uh, generate enough uh, of these sites within a close proximity to where they can have one purpose, uh, one person serving that and maintaining those uh, systems, or is it going to be spread out? Um, I think we did some back of the envelope math and on a basic soil moisture probe uh, with uh, uh, the the service. Uh, the the internet service for that or the cellular or satellite service, Uh, one uh, dealer would have to sell about 150, 160 of these units just to break even by the time they hired a technician with the burden and benefits and a pickup and so forth to put them in the training to get them out in the the field. So 160 units, uh, that's a, you would have to have a very concentrated area that to make sense and then for one person to get around and service each of those units that's a that's a tall task so um, I'm not sure we're quite there yet in terms of building a model that's sustainable long term uh, for the industry whether it's through dealers or directly from manufacturers to farmers sticking on that line of hardware you brought up a really good point about I mean at the, the expo you were recently at, that over 200 different manufacturers offering some sort of an irrigation technology, and you talked about the level of support and everything, and it it brought up a really good question that I had. It's, who, who understands these systems? So the dealers sell this hardware. Do the dealers also truly understand the agronomics behind it and give that advice? You talk about 
about a standard or, or a typical kind of a, a crop advisor or an agronomist or what have you, we see that when it comes to pest management and soil fertility and all of that, but you don't really ever hear about about an agronomist specifically talking irrigation or giving that type of advice. Where do the farmers go to when it comes to the irrigation systems? <laughs> uh, if you have the answer to that, let me know, and uh, you and I will go into business together. It's, uh... <laughs> It's an excellent point. You know, typical irrigation dealers across the country, uh, it, my experience has been that they are uh, engineers, designers of irrigation systems. They put components together and sell either components or systems to farmers. So farmers uh, go to dealers for irrigation advice, and then uh, PCAs or pest control advisors or agronomists for uh growing advice. Now, the irrigation dealers are typically, uh, uh, it's my experience that the typical irrigation dealers are engineers, designers of irrigation systems, putting components together from various manufacturers, building a system, and sometimes installing it and even maintaining it uh, for that grower. Um, their, their mindset is not in a, in a service mode our model that so it's very difficult for a dealer to get their head around uh, selling a service like a like a soil moisture service or an agronomic service um, so i'm not sure that that's a good fit yet there's a few that do have kind of crossed that uh, that bridge but uh, very few um, and, and they've gone out and hired uh, folks with uh, agronomic backgrounds, with irrigation backgrounds, and have kind of uh, meld those two together. Now, on the other hand, you've got pest control advisors or uh, uh, crop consultants or ap crop uh, uh, applicators, uh, pest control folks that specialize on, on the ag agronomic side but don't necessarily have a good handle on the irrigation side. So uh, there's a gap there. Uh, irrigation scheduling is a, is a huge, uh, huge issue. And, and a lot of it is just done uh, uh, by touch and feel and kind of a gut sense of what needs to be done. Whether it's the, the purchasing of the hardware, knowing where to go for advice, or it's just, truly understanding the irrigation systems, what do we need to do as industry professionals to better push the adoption or, or get past some of these challenges? What needs to happen to increase the adoption of irrigation technology? Well, I think there's a couple of things we should do as an industry. I think we have to, first of all, promote efficient irrigation. Uh, there was a recent study uh, that was shared with me uh, by uh, Dr. Charles Bird at Cal Poly, where the Irrigation Training and Research Center at Cal Poly went out over a 10-year period and tested hundreds of irrigation systems to see how uh, uniform they were. In other words, how much water was being put out at the first emitter in a field versus how much was put, being put out by the very last emitter in the field. And with uh, drip and microirrigation, the the theory is we want to put put that out, the water and nutrients out across that field as evenly as we possibly can. And systems right now that they tested 
uh, were uh, at about a 0.88 or a 0.87 distribution uniformity. So that means there's a 13% variation from the best to the worst. Now, if we can improve that by 5% to where a typical new system is operating or is designed to operate at, because nothing operates perfectly, uh, because uh, you know here we're we're human beings and designing something perfectly doesn't doesn't always come out well. But uh, if we can get up to a nine a point nine two or point nine three uh, and raise it by five points, there's kind of an unwritten rule that that also equates to yield. Uh, so we can increase our yield and the quality of yield by another five percent. I think if we show farmers that here's here's a system that will generate an additional five five percent to your yield, hence uh, improving your bottom line, uh, I think folks are going to be more willing to listen. I don't think we've told that story well enough. Um, I also think that there are some things that we need to address in terms of education. We need to uh, do a better job with through the university system, through consultants, through dealers, through manufacturers, through associations of Here's some tried and true systems uh, that uh, that truly work, and this is how to operate them. I think uh, that uh, a lot of systems are very complicated, and uh, you need a you know a PhD in computer science to operate some of these things. Uh, I don't think that it has to be or needs to be something that is uh, overly complicated uh, on its own platform. A lot of these. Uh, these systems operate uh, on distinct uh, platforms. We don't have an Apple or a Google uh, platform for for all the ag technology out there, which uh, could be uh, could be useful. Um, makes it easier. A dashboard, for example, that that's easy to read in different uh, many different languages, uh, where uh, growers or irrigators could make uh, informed decisions by looking at a dashboard on various areas, nutrients and plant health and pest pressure and soil moisture. And here's your solar radiation and your wind direction and speed and things like that. So I think all those things uh, combined uh, and, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but there's, it has to be financially sustainable as well. Uh, growers have to see the benefit. Dealers, if, if they're going to support that, need to make some money at it. And be able to service it, and and uh, and uh, the manufacturers of those things have to have to do a better job of working together and making that uh, uh, more efficient as well. There's a lot of different things it sounds like that we can do to help promote irrigation technology and everything that's going on in the industry. With all of this stuff, whether it's the hardware and components or it's the the education, like you're saying. Where can our listeners go to learn more? Who can they talk to? There's a number of resources. The Irrigation Association uh, uh, has a lot of resources. There's uh, there's some uh, great uh, universities uh, that uh, specialize in in uh, ag irrigation and ag in, uh, engineering uh, at uh, Cal Poly, as I mentioned earlier, the Irrigation Training and Research Center. Uh, Fresno State, the Center for uh, Irrigation Technology, uh, Colorado State, Texas A&M, uh, Florida State. There's some there's some good programs out there with a lot of 
good uh, good information. It's also a lot of the manufacturers uh, that provide uh, information too online. People can go and look at uh, uh, look at different technologies and see uh, see how they work. I think the last groups uh, that I would throw in there are folks like uh, Western Growers or uh, or or different to trade associations that have speakers that discuss these kinds of things that post their post their uh, discussions and presentations where where folks can go uh, the California Irrigation Institute uh, where I just recently spoke uh, has a whole, had a, two full days on technology and infrastructure and and that kind of thing so there's some great uh, 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 private public and and uh, uh, companies that that uh, provide a lot of a lot of great information on this. It's going to have to do some digging, but uh, it's there. Well, once again, Paul, we have got an episode here packed full of information when it comes to irrigation. You are definitely the go-to guy. You have tons <laughs> of industry experience and a lot of knowledge and. I really appreciate you sitting down with me once again and talking about the irrigation industry, some of the struggles that, that we run into, and, and some of the wins that we have as well. So thanks again, Paul. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thank you for having me. Visit rdoequipment.com slash podcast to listen to new episodes and catch up on any that you've missed. You can also listen and subscribe to our podcast on Apple and Android devices so that you'll never miss out on the latest news and technology from RDO Equipment and John Deere. If you really like this podcast, please share it on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or any of the other social media platforms that you are using. You can also connect with me on Twitter at RDO Tony K. That's at R-D-O-T-O-N-Y-K where you can tweet me questions, episode feedback, or ideas for future topics to cover. Please join us next time on the Agriculture Technology Podcast.